0: Good morning everyone Good Morning. great to be with you today and uh pastor Corey is uh back at uh at the bar m ranch in in oregon and uh just uh ministering with young adults there and brought a group of our young adults and so our prayers are are with him today uh but we are going to be in the book of psalms and uh we're going to be in Psalm 32. So if you guys want to turn there with me. All right, Psalm 32. Let's read that together. It says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained, as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like the horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for. The word that you've given to us, Lord, it is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. God, you shine in the darkness when we don't know which way to go. Your word guides us. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would minister to us, encourage us, strengthen us. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with Pastor Corey this morning and with the young adults, Lord, just give them... Uh, A wonderful, wonderful time in the word as they close out the the weekend and then give them safety on the way back, God. Lord, we just thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So the Christian life, I'm I'm sure you guys already know this, but it's a marathon. (laughs) And where you're at now is not where you're going to be in five years, Uh, No one ever stays exactly the same. And really, in the life of a believer, we're either growing closer to the Lord or we're drifting away from Him. It's really, in many ways, kind of like riding a bike on a steep uphill. You know, if you're not pedaling, you're going backwards. And I don't know how many of you guys have uh, tried to ride a bike backwards. Uh, You fall very, very quickly. And uh, and and that's really what, what happens when we're in the Lord is you know as we're paddling as we're moving forward with Him, you know He's He's keeping us upright. He's He's guiding us. He's using us. But I'll tell you, you know, the the minute that we just say, "Ah, I don't need to draw near today. I don't need to be in my Word. I don't need to pray. I did great yesterday." It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> God gave us an illustration of that in, uh, in the Old Testament with the manna. It was there for them every day and you couldn't take yesterday's supply and live on it the next day. It was every day you had to come to him. And that's really what it's like. And so regardless of where we're at with God in this walk with him, if we look back, we can see the evidence of his hand working in us and upon us even at times where we thought that we were a million miles away from him. You know, my wife uh, came from a, a pretty rough background and was not brought up at all in the training of the Lord. And yet when she was five years old, she would uh, she would walk back and forth to school by herself. And a lot of times picking up stray animals along the way, she was just that, that kind of kid, but, uh, You know, she said she has distinct memories of just having prayer time with the Lord. And she didn't know that it was prayer time, but it was just her talking with God. She, you know, God had put within her heart a knowledge that she was created and and that there was a God who loved her and that she could talk to. And even though she really wasn't brought up in the training of the Lord, she would have her times of just walking and talking with the Lord and picking up little kittens. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I, and I think every single one of us, uh, as, as we look back, we can see God's hand upon us. And, you know, maybe we've got some here today who, you know, feel like they're not anywhere near God. But I can assure you that God is working on you and uh, wanting to draw you near to him. And so even the Apostle Paul who in my mind probably did more for the spread of Christianity than any other single person on this planet, you know, he never considered himself to be a finished work. In uh, Philippians um, chapter 3 verses 12 to 15, he said, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. So he's saying, you know, the the things that it, that have happened in the past. Um, you know, Paul uses a lot of sports analogies as as he wrote his epistles, and uh, really, I mean, if you're talking a, a quarterback of a football team or um, a pitcher on a baseball team, or even in action sports, I know. Uh, certainly with, with snowboarding, I remember my first big, big crash on a, on a rail. And uh, I had, you know, rails came out and I was doing a whole bunch of them and, and never had any bad crashes. And then I had a really bad crash. And that was in my head from that point forward. Like I'd approach a rail and I'm like, I'm gonna crash, I'm gonna crash. And what would happen? I'd crash. <laughs> and the same thing with a pitcher in baseball. You know, if, if they throw, Uh, you know, a a great pitch to the wrong hitter and the guy cracks it out of the park, if he's just thinking about that for the rest of the game, his game's going to fall apart. But if he simply just recognizes what he did wrong, you know, okay, don't throw an outside slider to this hitter. You know, maybe it's a, you know, up close fastball or something like that. If, If he keeps that in his mind and has his focus then he's going to be able to, to, to do great for the rest of the game. But if it's in your head, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Oh, you messed up bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're not going to succeed with the Lord. It's keeping our eyes focused on the goal, on the prize, in the, the call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he leads us along the way. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to our hearts and our minds. And when we come to the end of our rope, we're in the right place. We're exactly where God wants us because we understand at that point that we're helpless without him. It's when we think that we have nothing to worry about or that we're doing great that we usually should have the most cause for alarm. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, we're, we're warned and it says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And so in this, uh, this psalm, is, it was written by King David and it's called in Hebrew, a maskil, And so it's translated as a contemplation. But it's really, it's more than just a contemplation. It's also an instructive psalm. It's an encouragement or an exhortation to anyone who would listen where, where David was highlighting his failures as well as his, six, his, uh, his triumphs. And he's encouraging us in the way that, that he made that turn. And in the, the book, uh, The Making of a Man of God by Dr. Alan Redpath, I love this quote. He says, the Bible never flatters its heroes. It tells us the truth about each one of them in order that against the backdrop of human breakdown and failure, we may magnify the grace of God and recognize that it is the delight of the spirit of God to work upon the platform of human impossibilities. And I love that quote because uh, me standing right here, guess what? This is the platform of human impossibility. And I knew as a young man uh, that, you know, I, I was really brought up with uh, uh, the whole doctrine, I guess you would say, the teaching that, you know, God loves good people, so be a good person. And there was a huge problem with that because I knew I was not a good person. That's what we call a platform of human impossibility. And uh, so this is why I, I just so resonate with David. You know, he had failures. He was the first person to tell you that he's not perfect. He openly confessed his sin. You know, this psalm is really a testament to that fact. And uh, along with Psalm 51, uh, a lot of scholars believe that this is a part of his confession and repentance concerning his sin with Uriah and with Bathsheba. And so it's broken up into four main parts. David's testimony and personal experience, uh, David's response of praise to the Lord, God's exhortation to us all, and David's exhortation for us to respond as he did. And so as we move from there, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, he said, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered how joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. You know, he's talking about this joy, and in many other translations read the word blessed. And, you know, where we're at in our society, often people use these words interchangeably with having much, with great success, with whether it be financial or just personal and everything firing on point. um, a, A lot of people use the word blessed when they're talking about these things. And that's not how God uses it. God doesn't say you're blessed if you have overflowing money in the bank account, if all of your family members are getting along, uh, you're hitting all green lights as you drive down 95. Um, that's, that's not the way that God translates blessed. Being blessed and being joyful in the Lord is so much more than those super, superficial things. Those things can change in a moment. And, and yet the blessing of God and the joy that God puts in our heart doesn't change. In Luke 10, uh, 17 to 19, we see the return of the 70 disciples when when Jesus sent them out to minister on his behalf, gave them power, and, uh, and it says that the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, he says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That should be the source of joy in this life, is that our names are written in heaven. And as we navigate our way through this world, that he has a plan for everything that we're facing. Uh, Some days we can feel that God is using us and blessing us and that things couldn't be more perfect. And other times we just feel that we're a curse to the world and that we're completely useless. And in either case, we can have joy if we remember that we're loved and forgiven by God and that he has a plan for us, both here and for all of eternity. And in every single case, we can be blessed. We can have joy. We can be filled with joy. And David said in Psalm 32, three and four, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. And that word Selah just means a pause, a reflection. Time to go back to that verse and think about what he just said. And and David knew all too well the pain of holding in confession. You know, Jesus talks about uh, those who don't receive him. He said that the wrath of God abides upon them. And for the Christian, the wrath of God is not abiding upon us. Yet, when we're not confessing our sins, when we're not being washed, in a sense, those sins are still hanging over our heads and remaining with us and and bringing us pain and guilt, even though we don't know it sometimes. And I'm not saying that, okay, you know, you've got to go back to your earliest childhood memories and, and confess of every wrong thing that you've ever done. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when God, the Holy Spirit, is pressing upon our heart the need to get right with him, and we just ignore him. We push him away and say, no, I'm okay. I'm going to deal with this. That's when those sins remain upon us, and they pollute, you know, our, our thinking, our ways, what we're dealing with in the present moment. In David's, greatest public blunder of all, the the adultery-murder combo, he held it in. He covered it up the best that he could. Since he went to the great lengths of committing sin to that extent, you know, he wasn't publishing this in the Kingdom's Weekly Bulletin. He's not, oh yeah, by the way, guys, here's what I did, just wanted to make sure everyone – know. He was keeping it in. He was probably scared to death that somebody would find out. Even though he was king, I'm I'm sure that just tore him apart inside. And it says right here that, you know, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You know, and that's really the conviction of God does something in our hearts, that no other person can. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord that when God would put something on my heart about something that was in my life that needed to be removed, there was nowhere that I could go with it. There was no, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand me. If, if there was a person that came up to me and said, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yeah, if you're a Christian now, this needs to go, this needs to go. I probably just would have turned around and left. But when it was God himself pressing upon my heart, this needs to go, this needs to go, you're not doing this and you need to be, then it was, you know, there was was nowhere that I could go with that. And when you ignore that voice, when you ignore the call of the Holy Spirit, it just, like David said, You know, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And there's two ways that we can go with this. I mean, we can either give it to the Lord and allow him to forgive us, to wash us, to cleanse us, or we can try and cover it up on our own. Uh, You look at Adam and Eve. I mean, the original sin they sewed fig leaves onto their naked bodies because they all of a sudden knew that they were naked. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you guys have had fig trees before. Uh, we had a fig tree in our backyard when I was growing up. And uh, the leaves, like if you pulled the leaves off and broke them in half, there was like this milky little substance in it. And, and then the leaves themselves, they were very itchy. And they uh, would irritate your skin, not quite to the extent of poison ivy, but they were, definitely had an irritant in them. And when you think about covering yourself with something like that, it is the perfect description of the inadequacy of covering our own sin, through however it is, through ignoring it, through making excuses for it, through trying to cover it up with good works, like all those things. That's man's attempt to cover our own sin. And, uh, and it's just as inadequate as using fig leaves for clothes. And really that's what legalism is. It's the attempt to be justified by God, or I'm sorry, before God, based on your own works and your own performance. But none of us can hold up to this. Nobody. I mean, legalism fails, I mean, right out of the gate because we're born with sin. And if you're trying to be approved by God based on your performance, well, we've already failed. James tells us whoever's guilty of sinning at one point is guilty of transgressing the entire law, like all of it. You might as well have broken all of it. It's, it's like if you've got somebody in prison and they say, well, I'm not a rapist. And it's like, yeah, but you did kill five people. So, <laughs> you know, you're not fit for society. And just because our sin isn't super great in our own eyes, that's not what we're basing it off of. We're basing it off of God's. Um. So in Psalm 32, five, David finally comes to his senses and says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will tra- confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, keep in mind, David did have to have uh, some prodding in order for this to happen. I mean, Nathan the prophet came to him and, and told him this story. And, uh, you know, there was a villain in the story who had taken someone's sheep and he had a whole bunch himself. And and David was just like, that's it. This man, he deserves to die. So, uh, and Nathan turned to him and said, you're the man. You did this. And instantly he knew he was caught. And yet at the same time, he was still king. He could have killed Nathan and come up with an excuse. He could have gone deeper and deeper and deeper into more sin to try and cover the previous sin. And that's typically, until somebody comes to repentance in the Lord, that's typically how it works is, is we're trying to cover. And it's like, if, if you lie, you usually have to lie to cover your lie and then back up that lie with another lie. And then you forgot about how much you lied and then you're trying to retrace and it's like, no, just, just confess. But that's finally what David did. He, he just decided no more running, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to acknowledge my sin. And sometimes we hold back confession because we think that God is going to hold it over our heads. That, that if we get real about what we did, that he's just gonna rub it in our noses and he'll never let us forget it for the rest of our lives. But that's what Satan does. That's not what God does. God doesn't want us to come into the light so he can shame us for being dirty. He wants us to come into the light so that we can be cleansed, that we can be washed. In Acts 3, 19-20, Peter tells the people in the crowd, he says, Therefore repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." God wants our time with him to be refreshing. He doesn't want it to be laden with guilt and, and, and just where the whole time we're just hanging our heads in shame. Well, it's me again, God. <laughs> God wants us to be able to come to him and walk away from his presence just full of joy and feeling completely refreshed. John 3.17 Jesus said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so, uh, you know, confession is such a key element of our Christian walk. And, And confession is not just simply telling God what we've done, because he already knows what we've done. There's so many people out there who will just tell God what they did, and think that they're exonerated, even though there's no repentance and they fully plan on continuing in sin. That's not confession. And it's not minimizing our sins by comparing them with other people. You know, that's a pretty common approach of, well, God, okay, yeah, I did this, but uh, my neighbor, I'll <whistles> tell you what, you need to keep a closer eye on him because he is out there. Yeah, A lot of people will do that. And in fact, I believe that this kind of mentality is the reason that our nation is where it's at right now, because we've got, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy mentality. Again, going back to the the idea of prison. I mean, you got people in prison who are literally will stand up in pride saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as those guys. And it's like yeah, but you're still in prison for a reason. So (laughs) you may not be as bad as that guy, but you're still not fit for society. And so really, uh, we have to look at, at what confession is. And it's the word homologeo, which means to say the same thing as another. It means that we go before the Lord and agree with him about what sin is and that it has no place in our life, no matter how minuscule it is on a human scale of badness, that we agree with Him, that it's pulling us away from Him, and that we get washed. And um, again, I mean, this is one of the most important parts of our Christian life, because without it, the sin is going to hold over us, and it's going to pollute everything that we're doing. And when we confess we're just admitting to God that we can't do this. I can't wash myself. I can't undo the things that I've done in my life. And God, when we confess, 1 John 1.9, I believe every Christian should have this verse memorized. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise that you can call upon God all day long with, and he will always honor it. Psalm 32, six, it says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great flood floodwaters come, they will not reach him. And, and David really learned this, that tomorrow's not the day to repent. Two weeks later, or when you finally get caught, that's not the day to repent. The day to repent is today. And we need to come to him. And and, and this isn't just for when we've done something terribly bad. This is every single day. When when the Lord just puts on your heart, maybe even just uh, a little bit of backsliding, you know, pedaling up that hill, maybe you just decided to coast for a day. And God will put that on your heart. And David's saying, respond right away. Go to the Lord. He wants to embrace you. He wants to refresh you. And so we need to do that immediately. And, and, and why? Because it says that he may be found. You know, in uh, the New King James and the King James, it says, uh, therefore, let everyone who is faithful come to you in a time where you may be found. And, and, and today, God's calling out to each one of us. Tomorrow, well, we might not be here tomorrow. And, and so today is the day that we need to come to Him, not because His grace might run out, but because we may not have that chance. And, and if you're a believer, I'm, I'm not saying if you die with unconfessed sin that you're going to hell. That's not, that's not a doctrine that anyone considers acceptable. But... What I'm saying is, is that we need to deal with it while it is today. Wouldn't it be so much better to enter his presence being completely refreshed than being just hanging your head in shame? Like, okay, I didn't, didn't come to you. Hebrews 3, 12 to 15, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the day of rebellion. Psalm 32.7, David continues and he says, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Again, Selah. He came to the point where no matter where he was at, he would hide in the Lord. He would no longer allow his sin to keep him from the throne of grace. And when God is our hiding place, he keeps us from trouble. And so David knew that when he was hiding in the Lord, number one, the enemy couldn't get to him. Maybe the enemy could get to him physically, but there's something that the enemy does so often that will just throw us off course if we allow it to. You know, I'm sure we've all had coworkers and maybe family members who are really doing their best to give us a bad day. Some of them are doing it unintentionally. Some of them are doing it absolutely intentionally. And, and when we're, our hiding place is in the Lord, they can try as hard as they want and they're not gonna get to us because we're safe in the joy and the presence of the Lord. And then we can, when we're not personally affected by what they're trying to do, we can genuinely respond in love and tell these people, I am praying for you. There was a person years ago who uh, was, was just giving all kinds of rumors about myself and my wife in the church. And I knew they were completely unfounded, and I didn't know why he was doing it. But what I would do is, and, and God had just put this in my heart, and, and this is no pat on the back for me, but I would make a beeline for him when I came into church, and I would give him a hug and say, it's good to see you. And it wasn't to spite him. It wasn't, oh, I'm gonna, heap pulls of fire on his head. Just watch this. I mean, people can see through that in a second. If that's your heart, it's, it's in the wrong place. And, and, and yet all it was is, is God just saying, love him. So I go, okay, God. And if I don't do it right away, I'm not gonna do it. So he would be the first person I would walk up to in a room. And, uh, and eventually it was that the, he just repented and, and confessed to me. He goes, man, I gotta tell you, I'm so sorry. And I didn't even let him finish his sentence. I hugged him and said, it's all right. You know? I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know why it was going on, but it didn't matter because I, at that time I was in the hiding place of the Lord. And I can't say that I've done that every single time in my life, so don't get me wrong here. But uh, certainly at that moment, God had. Put, I was hiding in him. And the threats and everything against me didn't work because I was with him. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. The Lord says to us now, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, else it will not come near you. You know, I used to just pretty unashamedly tell people that if God ever wanted me to change direction or go somewhere else, that he pretty much had to hit me on the head with the two by four that I would be like, yeah, you know, I'm just that stubborn kind of guy or I'm that thick headed and and that's just how God has to work with me. And then I read this Psalm. (laughs) It was like, oh, God doesn't want me to act like that. (laughs) He wants to be able to lead me just with a, a little nod. You know, every, every husband and wife has their own way of secretly communicating. Often best friends do, twins, you know, uh, but also people in, in law enforcement, they, they've just got a way of communicating or in the military um, without having to speak and shout and, you know, wave and point and all these things that, that there's a way of communicating that they don't need to use any words. And that's exactly how God wants us to be with Him. And uh, He wants us to be so connected with His Spirit that He doesn't have to shake our world in order to get us to look up and see that He's going, move that direction. Um, you know, he, he really wants us to be able to be so close to Him already that when he's just nodding, nudging, that that we know exactly where we're supposed to go. And you know, you think about Elijah, who was who was really in in that spot. He he faced the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, just one of the coolest stories in the Old Testament about uh, calling out these false prophets, and then him building up this this big stack of timber and. And uh, he's like, all right, let's get some buckets of water because we all know that's the best way to start a campfire. (laughs) And so he's like, bucket after bucket after bucket. And then he just prayed. He said, Lord, you're going to answer these guys. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the entire altar and the sacrifice and everything. Um, And then there was a woman, Jezebel, who said, I'm going to kill him. And he, And ran away, and uh, you know it was after facing all these guys, uh, amidst all this pressure and the eyes of the people on him at the same time. And then it's just after this great victory, just the smallest thing came at him, and, and he ran. But God wanted to make a point to him, so He hid him in this cave and and had this earthquake this uh, great hurricane, this fire all sweep by. And it says that God wasn't in any of those things. But then it says that there was a still small voice. And the Bible doesn't record for us what was told to Elijah. That's between God and Elijah. God's like, nope, you guys, you got to see a lot of his life. You're not getting to hear this. That's between me and him. And, And the Lord whispered to him, and you know that Elijah heard it because it says then, then he you know, wrapped his face in a mantle and walked out and, and then was able to listen to the Lord and, and receive his marching orders at that point. But, but that's what the Lord wants to do with each one of us. He wants us to hear him, not just in the life-shaking things that, that happen. Uh, and, I, and I've been there you know, where where I'm just kind of on autopilot and just moving along in my life. And then God's like, well, you're not hearing me on the daily. So now I got to shake your world up a little bit so that you're on your knees and you're listening. And uh, and God doesn't want to have to do that with us. Psalm 32, 10 and 11, it says, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What I love here, it doesn't say whoever becomes perfect will have faithful love surrounding him. That's not written anywhere. You know, God's faithful love is not based on our performance. We definitely need to come to him to receive that love. But he doesn't receive us based on our performance. It's only through his grace. And so all that we have to do is trust him and he's going to surround us with mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the promise comes to us. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So our response to all of this, It says right here, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. You know, we've all been clothed in the Lord's righteousness, anybody who's come to him. And and I'm sure there's some of us today that this is just a time of refreshing, just a time of encouragement where the Lord wants to continue us on the path that we're on. He wants to establish us. I'm sure there's others of us where where God's wanting to get us to the place where, like David, we respond and we say, okay, I'm done running. I'm done fighting. I'm done ignoring. I want to walk in the Lord. And so I just encourage each one of us just to respond in that way that God calls us, that we would walk in him, that we wouldn't wait for something life-shaking or life-changing in order to, to truly get us on our knees that while it's today that we're calling upon him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy for us. We thank you that we can call upon you at any time, no matter what. God, you've promised that to us, that you will be accessible at all times to anybody who wants to receive from you. So Father, I just pray for each and every one of us, God, that that we would be able to come to you, that we would be able to lay aside every weight. God, lay it before your feet. And God, just pick up that call that you've given to us and run with it. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We just pray that you would, Continue to press these words upon our hearts, Lord, that you would strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, amen.